Welcome to The Gallopod with me, Gallopodidia. In this episode, I'm reading part five of my fic, Teenage Wasteland. If you're not here for dry fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Next week, I'll be releasing a special episode about Evelyn Moore's classic queer novel, Brideshead Revisited, so chapter six of Teenage Wasteland will go up in two weeks. Content warning, this story deals with themes of domestic violence, child abuse, and alcoholism. I hope you enjoy Teenage Wasteland. Chapter 5 When he got back to the flat, Adelaide had made creamy parmesan gnocchi with asparagus. It was his favourite. Smells delicious, he said. Maybe you should put it in my perfume, she said, setting the table. You told me no foods. Do you have any idea how much harder that makes it? Adelaide wrinkled her nose. Don't want to attract bears, she said. There aren't any bears in England, said Draco. That we know of, said Adelaide. Draco laughed, and after a beat, Adelaide did too. Then they looked at each other. I'm sorry, said Adelaide, wringing her hands, twisting them through her bangles. It's really fine, said Draco. I mean, what you said is fine. The drinking is not. Adelaide hung her head. I'm sorry I'm such a fuck-up. Oh, said Draco. No, don't. Look at this gnocchi. Would a fuck-up know how to make gnocchi? Maybe, said Adelaide, and she burst into tears. Draco held her until she stopped, and then they just stood like that, adrift in the small kitchen. The next day, he took a day off work and had Adelaide skip school. They went to St Mungo's. I don't need help, she kept hissing at him. He ignored her and approached the welcome witch with an ostentatiously friendly smile, hoping she wouldn't recognise him by his hair. Hello, how are you? I was hoping you could direct me to the Drugs and Alcohol Rehabilitation Centre, he said, leaning winsomely against the counter. The what? asked the welcome witch, in the glum undertones of the underpaid. My friend here is having some... Adelaide glared at him so hard he had to look away. Issues. With alcohol. The welcome witch glanced at Adelaide with a critical eye. Cursed liquor. Fourth floor. Poisoned. It's third. No, there's nothing wrong with the alcohol, said Draco. Just with me, apparently, said Adelaide. You could always try demon possession. Eighth floor, said the welcome witch, doubtfully. Draco stared at her. It was amazing to him that he had spent the first 18 years of his life believing his society had cracked it, had figured out how to function better than everyone else's. Right, he said. Thanks so much. He turned on his heel and walked out. Adelaide jogged after him. Not going to exercise me, she asked. And lose your whole personality, said Draco. Ha, she said dryly. Where are we going? The NHS was predictably more with it, as it always was with anything relating to mental health. The wizarding world had a very, if it's not bleeding profusely from a curse wound, why fix it, approach to well-being. Draco had only learned about alcoholism from a pamphlet he had once spent twenty minutes loudly mocking in Kevin's office, then surreptitiously taken home. Unfortunately, the NHS was also chronically underfunded. Adelaide's GP put her on a waiting list for an outpatient rehab facility and gave her a printed handout about the value of exercise. By the time they got home, neither Draco nor Adelaide were speaking to one another. Draco locked himself in his bedroom and went over his accounts. Each month, he set aside some of his pitiful income, saving for a house. He had picked up a brochure for a private inpatient rehab facility. Even with all of his savings, 
he couldn't afford it. I hate being poor, he wrote on the windowsill and pencil, then hastily rubbed it out when he realised what he had done. So you miss him? asked Kevin. I didn't say that, said Draco. You said your life feels empty without him. Comparatively, said Draco. Comparatively empty. You could talk to him, said Kevin. That's bad advice, said Draco. The NHS doesn't pay you to give me bad advice. Why do you say it's bad advice? asked Kevin. Because he hates me, said Draco, much louder than he had intended. He lowered his eyes. Fuck. It's just sad, that's all. To like someone so much and have them think so little of you. You can't control how other people feel about you, Draco, said Kevin. Yeah, well, I can't control how much I want him either, apparently. It's unusual for you to be romantically interested in someone, said Kevin. Draco made an aggravated sound. I hate your office, he said. Did you know that? I hate it. Kevin looked thrown, but he recovered quickly. What do you dislike about it? Draco stood and went to a poster that said, You are beautiful. You are important. Right. This poster was probably made by wage slaves in China. Don't look at me like that. I read a thing about it when Adelaide was studying sweatshops in her ethics class. Kevin waited. So, said Draco, who's speaking? Not the underpaid foreign children, we can assume. The CEO... Mr. Inspirational Poster himself? Are you fucking kidding me? He's cackling away in his James Bond villain volcano mansion because he tricked you into spending three ninety nine on this meaningless nonsense. And that's before we even get to the message. Kevin was looking at him with a strange expression. Draco was hot. Restless. Angry, actually. Yeah. Angry. You are important. It's talking to everyone. Everyone who sees it. But what about the workers who made it? Are they important? What is importance? Why does that CEO man get to make a decision like that? You know what it's like? Draco was aware that he sounded hysterical, but couldn't seem to stop himself. Dogs! Everyone's like, oh, my dog loves me unconditionally. Like, that's a good thing. You think my Uncle Tertius was important. You think he deserved unconditional love. What about my father? What about... His throat closed off. He blinked several times. Gave a stiff bow said, here all week, and returned to the sofa. What felt like a whole minute passed before Kevin spoke. You aren't your father or your uncle, Draco, he said. I know, said Draco. Do you? I don't care about your stupid fucking poster thinking I'm important. I just... He swallowed. I'd just like someone to think that about me. Adelaide, began Kevin. That doesn't count. She depends on me for everything. It's not importance, it's necessity, said Draco. I doubt she sees it that way, said Kevin. Draco dropped his eyes. Sometimes it felt as if I was important to Harry. He could feel Kevin watching him, but he didn't look up. Time's up, said Draco. Harry went to Dinsmore's shop. Bland-faced Cynthia told him Draco wasn't around. He went back the next day, and bland-faced Cynthia told him that Draco was busy. On the third day, he caught Dinsmore. Draco? Of course, Mr Potter, said Dinsmore, then craned his neck and shouted, Malfoy, get out here! Draco emerged a few seconds later, hastily rolling down his sleeves, a smudge of ash on his cheek. He went rigid when he saw Harry. I just, um, 
Harry said to Dinsmore. I had to ask him something about, um, the potion. It was the wrong thing to say. Dinsmore looked greatly offended. Any questions you have about my potion can be addressed to me, he said. Draco made to turn away. I didn't say you could go, said Dinsmore. Draco turned obediently back round again, his face impassive. What did you wish to ask, Mr Potter? Just, said Harry. He hadn't thought this through. He never thought things through. If someone made a mistake in a potion, could they fix it? That's a fascinating question, said Dinsmore. Some mistakes are based on unchangeable things, said Draco. Mr Dinsmore, if I don't put in the lace wings now, I'll have to start from scratch. Please excuse me. Harry played a lot of Sati. It's depressing, said Ginny. You don't have to come over, said Harry. Ron reckons you're in some weird Malfoy spiral since you ran into him at the Auras, said Ginny, lounging against the piano. Does he? Is all classical music this gloomy? asked Ginny. Harry started playing Mozart's Requiem. You're less fun than you used to be, said Ginny. Ron, of course, tried to talk to him about it, but Harry didn't know how to begin. Didn't know how to say, he came to me when he needed help and I was cruel to him. It felt to some degree as if Draco had the right idea in cutting them off. Nothing had changed between them since they were sixteen, clearly, when Harry had found him crying and reacted by gutting him. He couldn't stop thinking about the strangely effortless way it had been good, though. The way they had woken up the morning after Harry's transformation, and just smiled at each other. Harry hadn't made any attempt to see Draco in several weeks when he looked up from the frozen food section of the market and saw Draco standing right next to him. Instantly, Harry was brought back to that moment over two years before, seeing Draco for the first time since Azkaban. How handsome he had looked, how friendly. As if he too had gone over his memories and thought, there's another interpretation here, we can't just have hated each other. He had seemed perfectly unsurprised to see Harry, had smiled as if there was nothing for them to do but start afresh. Now, however, he was not smiling. He looked just as alarmed as Harry felt. Hey, said Harry, slowly, cautiously. I didn't know you shot here. My place doesn't have good spices. Adelaide... He cut himself off. Draco, I'm so sorry, said Harry, the words rushing out of him. I didn't think, I wasn't, I didn't mean to... Stop, just stop, it's over. Sure, said Harry. Yes, whatever you want. Draco nodded curtly and turned away, then turned back looking as if he were doing it despite himself. What I want to know is how you could think I was capable of... He stumbled. How you could think I was like like my Uncle Tertius, how you could think that and still sleep with me. I grant that I have my own problems, but what does that say about you? Harry stood speechless, holding an icy bag of frozen peas. He wanted to say he hadn't thought Draco was a bad person, but that wasn't quite right, because he had, in terrifying flashes had liked Draco and felt inherently connected to him and wanted him, but had been frightened all the time that Draco would betray him. Better men than Draco had done it, after all. Draco's eyes moved in quick, jerky movements around the market, never resting on Harry's face. So, he said, and left, leaving Harry quite unable to move. Perhaps Draco did not realise the extent to which his sudden presence, his burning hurt, would incapacitate Harry. 
He only went the next aisle over, which is how it was that Harry overheard his entire conversation with Adelaide. Adelaide was the next aisle over. You were sleeping with Potter, she said. Draco's blood was pounding through his head, his chest swollen and painful. In the last week, he had told himself that he was over it, really, although he kept going back to the sad Gothic church and staring at the paintings of hell. The moment he had seen Potter again, he had known, with a jolting misery, what a sham his recovery had been. Potter's dark hair fell over his eyes. He smelled woody somehow, as if he spent all of his time at bonfires. His arms were wiry and muscular, and he stood as if he knew how important he was, how right. Even when he hesitated, it was with a vibrancy and a vividness that Draco knew he would never have himself, that he would never get close to again. Adelaide was waiting. Draco nodded. Have you ever even slept with anyone else? she asked. Draco made a heartbroken laughing sound. <laughs> what do you think? And he thought you were having sex with me? That's messed up! Draco took the marshmallows from her and put them in his basket. It's fine, he said. I knew what he thought of me. Adelaide put her hand on his arm, squeezing until he looked up to meet her gaze. You deserve better, she said. It was what he said to her. She was quoting him. Addie, he said, his voice light and careless, or almost. Are you giving me a pep talk? Don't call me that. Come on, coach. Let's get Mars bars and make Rice Krispie treats. As they were paying, Draco spotted Potter leaving the shop. He walked quickly, head down. He hadn't bought anything. In the flat... Adelaide assigned Draco the task of stirring the chocolate so that it wouldn't burn. You should date someone else, she said. Make him jealous. I doubt I'll ever see him again, said Draco. What about Kevin, said Adelaide. Keep stirring, sorry, Kevin, as in axe murderer therapist Kevin. Adelaide added the marshmallows. Is he an axe murderer, she asked. Could be, said Draco. You never know. Anyway, he'd lose his licence, and also I dislike him. Ah, but that's your type, said Adelaide, nudging him out of the way and taking over the stirring. People you dislike. Is it? said Draco. I don't feel like I have a type. Feels like there's just Potter. Adelaide looked at him with that unreadable expression she had sometimes, and didn't say anything. One thing that suddenly and horribly made sense was Draco's unwillingness to have sex with Harry again, after that first time. That only time, if what Harry had overheard was anything to go on. He remembered Draco's huge eyes, his dazed expression, the way he had fervently nodded each time Harry looked at him, the small noises he had made, each one an expression of pleasure and shock. Then he remembered Draco's stumbling answers, the way he shifted uncomfortably on his chair as Harry interrogated him his fear. Guilt like this was a physical feeling. There was an abstract sort of justice to the pain, as if Draco had cleared away the ache in Harry's muscles only to replace it with a relentless pang in Harry's chest. He stopped by the shop several times, but Draco always found ways not to speak to him. Finally, he came forward when Harry arrived, pulled him out of the way and said, if you're so damn sorry, leave me alone. Harry played a lot of Debussy, and the weeks went by. He had moved on to Beethoven when Draco showed up on his doorstop. Moonlight Sonata. Hack, said Draco, staring over Harry's shoulder. He looked on the verge of panic, 
He always seemed to be on the verge of something awful, and Harry found himself wishing he had understood how precious it had been, the morning after the full moon, to have Draco quiet and smiling and calm in his bed. "'Are you okay?' asked Harry. "'May I come in?' "'Thanks.' Draco went straight to the sitting room. He leant an elbow on the mantelpiece. He wore a slim, dark grey T-shirt and well-cut black trousers. Harry briefly wondered whether they looked so good because they were expensive or because they were on Draco. "'Is everything okay?' he asked, even though it clearly was not. However neatly dressed he was, Draco was evidently on the brink of collapse. His hair flopped into his eyes. It looked good, but also deeply and shockingly unkempt. He turned his head towards Harry. "'If I tell you, you'll have to promise you won't... you won't try to... to, to report me or, or to get her taken away from me,' he said. "'I promise,' said Harry. Draco looked stunned by how quickly he'd agreed. "'On your honour," he said. Harry laughed. "'Yes, on my honour, whatever that's worth.' Draco pushed away from the mantelpiece, went to the window, then came back again. "'She's run away,' he said. I went to the muggle police. They said she had to be missing for 48 hours before they'll do anything? Fucking insane. And I can't go to the auras because they're about an inch away from taking her away from me. And maybe they should. Oh, oh God. Harry intercepted Draco as he paced across the room, took his arms and stilled him. Of course they shouldn't take her away, he said. When did she leave? Draco's eyes were big in his face. Last night we went to bed early and I... Why didn't I check on her? Why would you have checked on her? She was sleeping, said Harry. I'm going to hell, said Draco, and the gravity with which he said it chilled Harry. Hey, said Harry, shaking him a little. We're going to find her. You should bear it serum me, said Draco. What? Why? I could be lying. Maybe I've done something to her. You haven't, said Harry, bewildered. Draco pulled away and fell onto the sofa, curling, crumpling into it. You need to check, he said. Anyone could be taking advantage of her. You need to check. "'Okay,' said Harry, as they're talking to a spooked horse. "'Okay. I think I have some in my study. Wait here.' Draco made an unfathomably miserable noise, so Harry decided to summon the Veritaserum instead. "'Here,' he said. "'Stick out your tongue.' Draco lifted his head and obediently presented his tongue. Harry put one finger under his chin, tilted his face up, and shook a drop of Veritaserum into his mouth. Then he took a drop himself. "'What are you doing?' asked Draco. "'Only fair,' said Harry. Draco blinked a little wildly. "'I don't understand you,' he said. Harry knelt by the sofa. "'Tell me your name.' "'Draco Malfoy.' "'Good. Now tell me your name is Terry Boot.' Draco was familiar with the protocol. Harry wondered how many times he had been interrogated from Veritaserum. "'My name is... Draco shook his head. It's working. Ask me about Adelaide. Have you ever done anything illegal to or with your ward, Adelaide Lovell? Yes, said Draco immediately, then widened his eyes in horror as he continued to speak. I drink with her sometimes, wine with dinner. Is that the full extent of any illegal or inappropriate activities? asked Harry. He put his hand on Draco's knee and stroked it, trying to reassure him. Draco didn't seem to notice. I know she smokes sometimes, and I don't stop her. I let her get her belly button pierced. She needed to get written consent. I don't know if it was appropriate that I gave it. She's allowed to have boys over for the night as long as they stay for breakfast. She- Draco, said Harry. None of this is- You're fine. 
Draco fell sideways onto the sofa arm and buried his face in it. I'm going to hell, he said again. On Veritaserum, Harry's heart hurt. Draco, he said. He took Draco's gnarled right hand and acted on that old impulse, lovingly kissed each knuckle. You're not. Will you help? said Draco. I'm sorry to bother you, I just didn't know where else to go. I'm so glad you came, said Harry. Of course I'll help. Did she leave a note? Harry took his hand back, fumbled in his pockets, and pulled out a scrap of paper. Draco, please, please don't worry about me. Sam loves me and is going to take care of me now, and you can go and be young and hot and have your twenties back. I will text soon. I love you. Don't be mad. Adelaide. Who's Sam? asked Harry. I don't know, said Draco. How can I not know? Harry could feel the Veritaserum wearing off. Draco, listen to me. I can't lie, right? Draco looked at him, said nothing. You didn't do anything wrong, said Harry. I'm going to help you. You didn't do anything wrong. How can you say that when you thought I was... said Draco. I was falling for you, said Harry, letting the last traces of Veritaserum carry him through. I was falling for you and I thought you were in love with someone else and it just took my head a minute to catch up with the facts. That's all. Draco closed his eyes. I can't process that right now, I don't think, he said. Sorry, said Harry. You don't have to, it doesn't... He tested the lie out. Matter. What if something hurts her? Said Draco, in a small voice. Harry sat next to him on the sofa, and Draco nestled into him. Harry drew his arms around his body, pulled him close. I bet her friends will know who this Sam is, he said. Let's go talk to them. Will you come? asked Draco. Harry pressed his lips to Draco's soft, pale hair. Yes. Barker, said Fiona. I think that was his last name, wasn't it? Sam Barker? They stood outside the school building. Harry had gone to the headmaster, confunded him into releasing Adelaide's three closest friends, and brought them all out to join Draco outside the front steps. We've only met him once or twice, said Ellie. He wasn't very friendly. She asked us not to say anything, said Tasha to the other two. You've always been loyal, Tasha, said Draco. I appreciate it. But Adelaide may be in danger. Her safety is more important than any promises you made her. Harry had insisted Draco borrow a jumper, and it was distracting to see how Draco had already poked his thumbs through the holes in the sleeves, how he fiddled with the loose threads as he talked. How long has Adelaide been seeing this Sam Barker guy? asked Harry. The girls all shrugged. We barely see her anymore, said Ellie. She's obsessed with him. He told her to stop wearing makeup, so right away she stops wearing makeup. It's pathetic. Next to him, Draco breathed in sharply. Harry reached out, meaning only to touch his arm, but Draco grabbed his hand. Harry squeezed it, gently, it was Draco's right one, and Draco stroked his thumb back and forth over Harry's knuckles. I don't understand when she's even had time to see him, said Draco. She's been so busy with cooking club. Cooking club, said Fiona, then stopped, because Tasha had elbowed her in the ribs. Oh, said Draco. There is no cooking club. He looked at Harry, as if he was trying to justify himself, as if he expected Harry to criticise him. I thought she'd joined a cooking club. Harry asked the girls a few more questions. 
Draco seemed wholly incapable of saying anything else. He only stared at the concrete steps, looking as though he was running through a list of all the mistakes he'd ever made. Harry had him wait outside the police station as he blagged his way in, using more spells than was technically legal. It was similar enough to the aura department that he was able to find the files without too much difficulty. He located Sam Barker's file, looked at the picture, checked the age. It matched up with everything Adelaide's friends had said. Draco stood exactly where Harry had left him, hunched-shouldered and small. He looked lost, and Harry's sudden love for him was like anger. Come on, he said, and apparated them to Grimmel Place. Draco stumbled when they landed, and Harry caught him by the waist. Draco wrapped his arms around Harry's neck. They stood like that for a moment, one of Harry's hands clutching Sam Barker's file, the other flat against Draco's back, holding him close. Then Draco stepped away, and Harry followed him into the sitting room. Is that his file? asked Draco. Yes, said Harry, handing it over. Draco sat and opened it on the coffee table. He's twenty-six, he said, his fingers tracing over the mugshot. Why does he have a mugshot? Everyone doesn't have one, do they? He was arrested for sexual assault two years ago. Charges were dropped, said Harry. So he was innocent? asked Draco, hopefully. Uh, said Harry. Maybe? Probably not, honestly. Draco nodded. He looked so tired. All right, he said. Then he put his head in his hands, his elbows on his knees. Harry reached over and rubbed his back, his hand moving slowly over the rough wool of his jumper. Draco held very still, but did not tell him to stop. I've got an idea, said Harry, but we'll have to wait until night because it involves breaking into the Department of Mysteries. We'll have to be careful, said Draco, lifting his head to look at Harry. I'll be sent to Azkaban if I'm caught. Oh, you're something else, said Harry, desperately fond. Obviously you're not going. Draco looked for a moment as if he was going to argue, then put his head back into his hands. All right. What are you stealing? There's an instrument they use to adjust the trace on miners. I'm going to use it to find her. Draco sat up and turned to face Harry. Harry still had one hand on Draco's back, so Draco's movement brought him much closer than expected. Thank you, said Draco. That's okay, said Harry, finding it quite hard to breathe. Draco's face was so close. Draco's eyes roamed over him, grey and searching. That first time, he said. I'm sorry, said Harry automatically. Why were you like that? Why were you so... and then never again? Harry raised his hand very, very slowly. Touched Draco's face. Draco's eyes fell closed, and he breathed a shuddery sigh. It felt right, said Harry. Did it to you? Yes, said Draco. Harry dragged his thumb over the corner of Draco's mouth, and Draco moved his head a fraction, caught Harry's thumb with his lips. I've never been able to stop thinking about you, said Harry. My whole life, it feels like. Draco opened his eyes and moved away. My therapist would suggest that's not very healthy, he said. It probably isn't, said Harry, with a hopeless sense that Draco would come back if only Harry said the right thing. I've not turned out to be very good at being an adult. You're doing all right, said Draco, with a kind smile. It was shocking and wonderful that it didn't look out of place. That Draco had grown up to be someone kindness suited. That Harry had been allowed to witness the change, 
It was in many ways an awful afternoon, because Draco was so distracted and upset and couldn't seem to focus for more than a few minutes. But it was also rather similar to that magical first time, even though Harry didn't so much as kiss Draco, knew better than to try. They got Thai takeaway and ate it on the floor of the sitting room, talking about strange, random things. Egyptian mummies and overfishing in the Atlantic. London versus the countryside. Quidditch. But you didn't like L.A., said Draco, after they'd eaten. You never talk about it. It was all right, said Harry. He paused. They had these sex parties. Stop, said Draco, but he was smiling. Werewolf sex parties? Yeah, said Harry. It was practical. You went? Just to see, said Harry, and Draco looked utterly delighted. An expression akin to the one he used to get when Harry failed in potions, but different in some key way. Please, just to see. You're rapacious, he said. The air seemed to grow thick between them. You're... Harry waited, but Draco didn't finish his thought. His cheeks were pink. I'm... prompted Harry. Draco dropped his eyes. Clearly experienced, he said. Ah, said Harry. That's code for good, right? You think I'm good in bed? We've not done much in a bed, said Draco, fiddling with the lid of the green curry container. I am pretty experienced, said Harry. I've been with a lot of people. Braggart, said Draco. But no one like you, Harry finished. Draco looked cautiously up. Harry met his gaze, feeling almost defiant. Well, said Draco, trying to be light but still watching Harry intently. Hate sex, you know, it's its own thing. It was never hate sex for me, said Harry. For a second, Harry thought Draco was going to lean forward and kiss him. Instead, he flopped onto his back on the carpet and said, Can you only play Moonlight Sonata? No, said Harry. I can play a bunch of stuff. Rachmaninoff, please, said Draco, and Harry obediently went to the piano and butchered the third concerto with his sight reading. That was quick, said Draco, when Harry got back from the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, said Harry, pushing his hair out of his face. Yeah, you'd really think they'd be on to me by now. Draco rose onto his knees on the sofa. So, did you find her? Yes, said Harry. She's in South London, in a flat above a kebab shop. Draco stared at him for a moment. Harry resisted storming up to him, taking his face in his hands, touching his lips to the crease between Draco's eyebrows. So we should go get her, he said instead. Yes, right, said Draco, standing. Then, she is... She is alive, though. Harry couldn't resist this time. He came close, leant his forehead into Draco's temple. Yes, she's going to be fine. Let's go get her. Yes, said Draco, one hand going to Harry's waist, without Draco seeming to notice it. Yes. They apparated to the kebab shop and craned their necks, looking at the flat above. The light was on, the curtains drawn. It was ten o'clock at night by now, and the street lamps were on, the whole street yellowy with cheap, flooded light. Draco let himself into the peeling front door with a quick spell. The stairwell was dark and smelled obscurely of mould. Harry followed Draco up the stairs with a rising sense of dread. The trace showed that Adelaide was alive, but there was no saying in what state she would be when they found her. 
Draco unlocked the flat door with his wand and went inside. Adelaide sat on a pleather sofa sleeper bed, painting her toenails. She looked up when they came in. Draco? What are you doing here? You're okay, said Draco. You're right. What? Of course I am. I told you not to freak out. Harry privately felt that this was not a well-calculated remark. Draco's face went red. Put your shoes on. We're going, he said, his voice almost trembling with anger. Oh my god, you're seriously trying to go all dad on me. Are you joking? I'm sixteen. Where is he? Sam. Draco said it as if he suspected the name was an elaborate alias. He'll be home any minute, and you need to go. Why? Because he might get angry and hurt you. Adelaide lowered her nail varnish, looking exasperated. Will you stop being so dramatic? Sam's a really great guy. He would never hurt anyone. If he's so great, why has he practically kidnapped you and pulled you out of school? Is that what this is about? You want me to keep learning fucking intro to herbology? Jesus, Adelaide, it's about you leaving me. Draco's voice broke. You didn't text, you didn't pick up your phone, you could have been dead in some back alleyway and I have no way of knowing and and you you just left. Adelaide stood, her brows drawing together. Draco, she said. I wasn't, like, cutting you off. I just... Sam loves me. I love you, cried Draco, and Adelaide looked as if it was the last thing she'd expected him to say. Well, she said, then glanced over at Harry for the first time. What's he doing here? You're not letting him fuck you again, are you? Because he was a twat about it last time. Come home, said Draco. We're not, uh, said Harry. Draco threw him an annoyed look, like, not now, Potter. I'm not coming back, Draco, said Adelaide. I'm sick of being a charity case, and with Sam... You're not a charity case, you're my family, you fucking nutjob, said Draco, actually waving his arms in the air as he spoke, like there was no other way he could express the extent of his outrage. The door opened, and Sam Barker walked in. He was a rangy, muscly kind of guy, with a patchy beard and what he probably thought of as tasteful face tattoos. He frowned as he looked from Adelaide to Harry and Draco. Babe, who are these men? Sam, this is Draco, and his fuck buddy. We're not, said Harry. I mean, not that... Draco glared at him, and Harry shut up. Draco, eh? said Sam, coming forward to look at Draco. Draco stood so straight that he appeared about three inches taller than usual, and his left hand was balled into a fist in the pocket of the jacket Harry had lent him, clenched around his wand. So, you're the man who was so keen on keeping Addy for himself. I told you, Sam, it's not like that, said Adelaide. No, said Draco. It's not like that with me and Addy. And you've been dating her since she was underage, so you and I are going to have some words. We didn't sleep together until my birthday, said Adelaide. What a gentleman, said Draco, showing too many teeth. Sam leant forward. Now that we've got that cleared up, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Addie's above the age of consent and she's here of her own free will because she got tired of your dick so you can... Draco lost it. I've never touched her, he said, and shoved at Sam's chest with both hands. It wasn't very effective. Sam barely budged. It seemed, however, to trigger something in Sam because he responded by grabbing Draco by the throat, picking him up and slamming him repeatedly against the wall. Draco! screamed Adelaide at the same time as Harry said, Stupefy! Sam crumpled to the ground. So did Draco, smudging blood all down the wall. Harry rushed towards him, but Adelaide got there first. Draco, 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 oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, she said, trying to get him to sit up. 
trying to see his face. <sighs> said Draco. You're bleeding, she said, her hands cradling his head, feeling for the wound. Draco had his eyes closed, and he was frighteningly pale, but he smiled. The wounds always bleed a lot, he slurred. And Adelaide, to Harry's endless mystification, laughed. Let me see if I can heal it, said Harry. I feel a bit sick, said Draco. I think you have a concussion, said Harry, and put his hand on Draco's shoulder blade so that he sat a little forward. The back of Draco's head was red and messy. Harry knew only rudimentary healing. He hoped it was enough for now. He cleaned away the blood, healed any bone fractures. You need to go to St Mungo's, they'll fix you up in ten minutes. He's hurt his head before, said Adelaide, panicked. After you, Draco said, opening one dilated eye to look at Harry. Atasha's got cross after I saw you at that time. You're going to be just fine, babbled Harry. Adelaide, you need... can you... I need you to take him to St Mungo's. What about him? said Adelaide, looking at Sam with marked dislike. I'll take care of him, said Harry, darkly. Cries, Potter, don't kill him, drawled Draco, or tried to, but it came out rather drunken and confused. He's not your childhood rival weeping in a girl's loo. Can you can you just not right now, said Harry, because you're covered in blood and I... Draco closed his eye and reached blindly for Harry's hand. Sorry, he mumbled. Harry caught his hand and raised it to his mouth, kissed it. Sam moaned. You should go. Hang on, said Harry. He picked up Adelaide's bottle of nail varnish and turned it into a portkey without even using his wand. It was easy, effortless, because it was what Draco needed to get to safety. Here, both of you touch this. I'll join you at St Mungo's. Adelaide was looking at Sam. You're not really going to kill him, are you? She asked. No, I'll take him to the Auras, said Harry. It wasn't the usual policy, but Harry would be able to show his memories of Sam attacking Draco and get him put away without Adelaide having to testify. I thought, she said, in a small voice, looking suddenly so very, very young. I thought he seemed nice. It was almost offensive how quickly St Mungo's treated him. You've had serious head trauma before, said the healer. Have you been experiencing intense headaches? Yes, said Draco. The healer did some complicated wand work around Draco's head. Something wonderful and clean rushed to his brain. He found himself imagining rain on a drought-struck forest. The mists cleared, the pain vanished, his vision snapped into focus. Wow, he said. Better? Better, said Draco in disbelief. I feel fifteen again. The healer frowned. That's unusual. You think you're fifteen? No, 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 I only meant... I feel good, whole, said Draco. No, no, it's good. Better. Adelaide told him that Harry had said he'd join them, but Draco was so tired, and Adelaide had black streaks of eyeliner all down her cheeks. Tell Harry Potter we've gone home he told the welcome witch. She perked right up. Harry Potter! Here! Tell him I'll be in touch soon, said Draco, and took Adelaide home in a cab. Somehow, they ended up sitting on her bed, eating Cadbury's fingers. It was late, and they were both tired, both still covered in Draco's blood.
but neither of them made any move to get ready for bed. They talked about nothing, about films, about music, about recipes. They didn't look at each other. Draco lay diagonally across the bed, and Adelaide sat against the quilted headboard, her feet on Draco's stomach. Only half her toenails were painted. Right, listen, I'll give you one thing, said Draco. The sky was beginning to lighten outside the window. Coyote Ugly represents the boundless optimism of the year 2000. Oh, stop, you always make it into some huge societal thing, said Adelaide. It's just fun, it's so much more fun than Gladiator. You like the music in Gladiator, said Draco, scrabbling blindly for one of the last chocolate fingers. Adelaide nudged the box closer to him. I do, she said. Harry plays the piano. He can sight-read and everything. It's sort of amazing. Just give him the music and he'll play it. And he's only been playing for, like, two years. I mean, the man's a freak. Adelaide didn't answer for a while. They only had her bedside table lamp on, the one with the pink shell-shaped lampshade, and the room glowed rose against the sunrise. He seemed pretty into you, she said. Draco blinked up at the ceiling. Maybe, he said. I don't know. The novelty, maybe. It felt as if the temperature of the room had changed, as if the air quality had dipped. Sam didn't want to sleep with me, said Adelaide, quietly. Not at first, not until I was sixteen. I thought... Draco covered her cold ankle with his hand. She took a deep breath. And he reminded me of Tertius, and he didn't hit me, so that was nice. How did he remind you of Tertius? asked Draco. Just little things. Like, he liked to buy me things, and he really, really cared about me wearing them. Like, if I didn't, he'd be so hurt. She paused, then corrected herself. Mad. He'd be mad. Draco squeezed her ankle. I just... She spoke so slowly, as if she was deciding with each word whether to continue. I understood why he wanted to take care of me. Like, what he got out of it. But with, you know, you, for example. She drifted off. When I was fifteen, I called my mum a stupid cunt, said Draco. Adelaide gave a surprised laugh. Okay, she said. She didn't want me to join the Death Eaters. We kept fighting about it, and I said a lot of stuff to her, said Draco. She cried a lot. I didn't care. I told her she was being manipulative. I actually didn't even remember that I'd called her that until later, when things were so bad, and I... Anyway, point is, I wanted to apologise, but I thought, maybe she doesn't remember, and if I apologise, it will only remind her. Do you think she did remember? asked Adelaide, urgently, as if the answer was important. Definitely. Of course. No, she definitely remembered. But I didn't apologise, and then she died. After a moment of quiet, Adelaide shifted on the bed so that she lay next to Draco, her head at his shoulder. But the thing is, Adelaide, said Draco. He felt as if he were talking in a dream. He wasn't even sure if it was okay to talk to her like this, so openly and vulnerably, whether it was unparental. His parents had certainly never talked to him like this. I feel guilty about a lot of things, 
but I don't really feel guilty about that. Adelaide's voice was almost a whisper. Why not? Because I know she forgave me. The minute I said it, she had already forgiven me. Because she loved me unconditionally. He turned his head. She turned hers. They looked at each other for the first time since they had arrived home. The way I love you, said Draco. Adelaide's eyes were wide. Unconditionally, she said. Draco nodded. Seems like a made-up Hollywood movie sort of thing, she whispered. It's not, said Draco. She chewed on the inside of her cheek. But I'm awful, she said. Draco smiled. The room was getting light enough that he could see the tired creases in her cream eyeshadow. Not to me, he said. Adelaide blinked too hard, and a tear came racing over the bridge of her nose. She wiped at it distractedly. I promise not to call you a stupid cunt, she said. It doesn't matter if you do, really, said Draco. It won't change anything. Adelaide gave a watery sort of laugh, then covered her face with her hands. Draco turned his head back to the ceiling to give her privacy. Hey, Adelaide, he said. Do you want to get a dog? That was part five of Teenage Wasteland, written and read by Gallup Sidia. Tune in next week for a special literature episode about Anthony Blanche, the brilliant queer mixed-race character in Brideshead Revisited. Uh, Anthony Blanche is kind of the basis for my blaze throughout my fix. Uh, you don't have to have read Brideshead Revisited to understand this episode. I'm going to give a little recap of Even on War's life. He was a really bad person. Uh, and tell you a little bit about the context for Brideshead Revisited. And then I'm going to read out loud my favourite passage from the novel, which is this like absolutely mad monologue that Anthony Blanche gives. And then I'm going to discuss that and how that influenced my writing. As always, it'll be very self-indulgent. I'll have a great time. I hope someone will listen. Don't forget you can join my newsletter, if you fancy, at newsletter.gallopod.com. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app and share it with a friend who you think will like the show. I also have an Instagram, at letthemeatbooks, with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you for listening. <laughs>